This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Welcome to a sports special on Dubai Eye 103.8. It is myself, Chris McCarty, in conversation with an Olympic legend, a winner of three gold medals across five different games. He also boasts a record 13 golds in the X Games, a man who almost single-handedly transcended the sport of snowboarding. Sean White, an incredible influence on snowboarding for years. Deliberate in his dedication, and what a payoff. Repeat gold for Sean White. Sean White from the USA. Six X Games gold medals. And an Olympic gold to that as well. With grace and class, Sean White comes into the crowd for the final time. Sean White has delivered not just for snowboarding, but for the Olympics as a whole. An exclusive interview with Sean White on the way next. The Offscript Podcast. We're delving into the psyche of a champion. Snowboarding great Sean White opens up on his childhood, the experience that helped shape him, and those career-defining moments, including that run in Pyeongchang back in 2018. I was granted an audience with the man affectionately known as the Flying Tomato at Ski Dubai earlier this week. The story of his ascent to superstardom to come. But first, how was he enjoying life here in the United Arab Emirates? First time Dubai. Um, and uh, I, I had the opportunity of riding the Ski Dubai facility yesterday and I had so much fun. I brought some friends with me and I was just at, uh, mentioning that this is probably maybe the second time I've been on snow since uh, my retirement and it was just such an amazing um, experience and uh, you know, obviously I've cooked in a couple days for me to be here and experience the rest of the city and it's just been so rewarding, so incredible and uh, we're having a really good time. Can I ask, Sean, obviously you've reference there your second time on a mountain yeah <laughs> since your retirement emotional were you were, uh, any what were kind of the emotions that were running through your head honestly i just felt really thankful I know that sounds strange, but I felt so thankful to be in the position that I'm in. You know, looking at this highlight reel, like I've accomplished so much and I felt, you know, kind of this warm glow within of like, wow, I've kind of like, I don't know, it sounds weird to talk about. Like I, I, I earned the ability to come enjoy myself and somewhere new, somewhere beautiful I've never been before and, and to uh, sit with you and talk, to meet fans, people. Uh, it's just been such a good experience, and and that's how I pictured my you know retirement going. So this is this is me actually walking that uh, that line and, and enjoying it. For those of you that don't know this, Sean actually spent a considerable amount of time yesterday with a number of very talented young winter sport athletes. Yes, residing here in the United Arab Emirates. Impressed with the talent on show, Sean? Yeah, it was amazing. Actually, you know, I got a little warm up before they brought everyone out and. The crew showed up and, uh, you know, a wide range of different ages, boys, girls, you know, everybody. Um, and they opened up this big jump up there. And I'm thinking, OK, like, like, let's see what the local talent has to offer, you know. And 
And I was blown away. They start sending it over this jump. And I'm like, okay, let's go. We started doing trick for trick. It was really incredible to see the talent. And um, I kind of told a, less, a lot of the other you know, people running the facility, I was like, I like that they had that sort of like that drive and the passion and, and the fear element wasn't really a part of it. They started just going for tricks right out the gate and, and landing them. I was very impressed. And yeah, I just think that's such a good sign of, you know, the quality of riding. You know? How humbling is it, Sean, that you're sat here in the desert, in the sand pit, as I like to call it, <laughs> the United Arab Emirates, and you've got young kids looking up to you. Mm. I, I don't want to over-egg it, but you're an icon. Yeah. <laughs> you are a hero to so many people. Mm. I mean, how does that make you feel as an athlete and as a man more? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild. I mean, just to see the ripple effect. I mean, I, I had a young, you know guy approached me yesterday with my video game he's like <laughs> it was out years ago it's not it's not like you go find it right now playstation you know one or two um but you know just wow like it's reached that far you know the the, the things in my life that i've done over the amount of years that i've done it and and the ripple effect of that and meeting this younger generation and the, you know the, either played my video game or saw me at a major competition saw me at the olympics or something like that and you know maybe inspired them in some way i mean that's just amazing and and I think just like you said, to be able to actually meet those people in person, that really kind of like yeah, it, it warms my 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 heart in so many ways that I, I was able to be a part of their lives, even though we've never met before. I've got so many yeah. questions for Sean. I'm worried that <laughs> we're, we're going to get them all in yeah. in about forty minutes. So much to unpack with you, Sean. Before we start at the beginning, yeah, I wonder if we can let's get in reflective moods because, as you say, you retired recently yeah. after the Winter Games. Time to reflect of all that you've achieved in your career, Sean. Mm -hmm. Immensely proud of, of what you've done for, for yourself and for your family. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it, it, it started at a time where you have to remember snowboarding was not very accepted anywhere. Um, and we were lucky to be on the resorts. And my family and I were kind of the first of that generation that wasn't the sort of rebel crowd that people were used to in the mountains but we were still getting stereotyped as being a part of that crowd so we would come home into the suburban neighborhood in which i lived in california you know southern california and people didn't really they liked winter sports or heard about them. they didn't really participate as much and so we were kind of like all of a sudden the outlaws of our little community and you know i was born with uh uh a congenital heart defect called Tetralogy of Fallot. So I had multiple open heart surgeries to correct this. And, um, you know, so we went through a lot and it, it was kind of frowned upon by the community which we lived in that we were letting, you know, the cardiac kid go out and do these dangerous sports, uh, deemed dangerous at the time. Just people didn't understand them. And so there's a lot of kind of like things we had to get through in order to get to where we're at today. I mean, the Olympics wasn't a thing. Um, so it was a lot of sort of uh, the grind of it all. And to, to you know, show that we found a love for a sport that was maybe misunderstood at the time, but we loved it and we didn't care what anyone else was going to tell us. Like, I felt like this is it. Like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do with my life. And um, to have all the other things fall into place. I mean, yeah, my my mom and dad, I'm so thrilled. And I think, you know, they, they are so proud of what I've done. And I mean... I walked my mom down the, the red carpet at the Oscars just a few days ago, you know, and she's just like, wow, like, how did we get here? Um, you know, after everything we've done, it's just, you know, the, the, the amazing things keep coming. So, yeah, I'm, I'm immensely proud of, of 
where I started, where I am, and, and honestly, where I want to go with things. Uh, you told me a story, and I, I want to let everyone here today in, in on this little story. You told me just in the green room a little earlier. Uh-huh. You took up skateboarding. Skateboarding was your initial passion. Yeah. You then stumbled into snowboarding. It was a mode of transportation. Yes. <laughs> it got me around Save the neighborhood. Mom and dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Save mom and dad yeah. from driving you everywhere. Yeah. But then you fell into snowboarding, and it was actually your mum, the persistence of your mum. What did yeah. your mum do to get you? Yeah, it was wild. So when I started snowboarding, they actually didn't make kids' boards. So there was no board my size, and I was pretty small for my age. And so my mom called Burton Snowboards and said, hey, you know, my son... I don't know what her bragging was. He's got red hair. He loves the snowboarding. Like, we got to get him aboard. And, and it just so happened that Burton's like, wow, that's amazing. We're coming out with kids boards next year. Maybe your son could be a part of our program. And that started the introduction or, you know, technically sponsorship with Burton Snowboards. And upon kind of getting the products from them, it was kind of, you know, a... a, a you know, a known thing that like, well, maybe he should start doing some competitions if he's going to be part of our our, uh, program. And so I was entered into a race up at the local resort amateur competition and I won. I was really fast and and I had the background from skateboarding and, and that just sparked this whole thing. But I think the beautiful part of it is, is that my brother started snowboarding then I started snowboarding. Uh, my sister, then my mom and dad. I was a family of five. And it became our thing together. And I love seeing over here we have young, you know, kids in the crowd. Hi. <laughs> um, that's what it was all about. It was going up with my parents and enjoying something in common. And that kept our family, you know, a, a, a tight group as I got older. And it was that thing where, you know, so many parents and kids kind of lose touch and the, you know, things they have interests in common and misunderstandings and things. They don't have something to talk about at the breakfast table. And that was it for us. Snowboarding and these sports were something we did together. So even though the outside world maybe viewed it as like this reckless sort of strange sport, they didn't understand it. But we knew deep down it was just something that we all enjoy together at the basic level of the sport. Can I ask a very personal question, Sean, and you don't yeah. need to answer this. You've mentioned that you, you had medical issues as a yeah. young boy. I wonder, did, did that were you aware of them, first and foremost? As you mm-hmm. were coming through as a young boy, mm-hmm. following your passion of skateboarding, then mm-hmm. snowboarding, were you always acutely aware that you had these issues mm. and did it unbridle you did it give you a, a sense of i've got to go and seize the day seize mm. the moment mm. it was a mix you know my parents made me aware of it for sure but they never really put the boundaries on me they didn't say oh don't do this because of your heart oh don't do that you know don't work too hard they kind of let me find my own pace and boundaries and if i was tired i would you know back off of whatever i was doing and so i really found my own level you know of of fitness and things that i could take on and and it was much higher than was expected i was supposed to be very inactive sluggish child they're like he might not have a normal life he will have this type of you know and it's just predictions from doctors and obviously you know sound predictions it's the medical field and they know what they're talking about but yeah obviously every case is different and so i feel like you know i found my own boundaries and um I don't know if I, I if I felt like I needed to seize the day, but I do feel like it instilled some sort of fight in me from the beginning. Like I just needed to, I had something to prove. I could do, you know, uh, you know, because when you're kind of told you can't do certain things, 
Yeah, especially when at a young age you want to test the, well, man, okay, uh, let's see about that. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely tested the boundaries for sure. So your mom yeah. played a big part. Obviously, you had talent. Yeah. You can't do anything unless you yourself are talented. Yeah, yeah. You clearly are extremely Thank you. talented. <laughs> let's fast forward, if we can, through to 2006. You're 19 years of age. Yeah. The Olympic Games in Torino. Talk to us all here. Yeah. What is it like, A, being an Olympian, the village, yeah. the expectation you placed on yourself. Mm-hmm. Give us an overview. Yeah, well, so this was wild. I mean, I had tried to go to the Olympics when I was 15 for the 2002 Salt Lake City Games. I'm in first place. There's only one more rider to go, and I'm watching them the make their way down the half pipe. I was like, oh, that's a good hit. He gets to the bottom. that beats my score by three-tenths of a point. Three-tenths of a point. That was just like a... Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. It's like a whim of a judge, and there's nothing I could do. So I missed out on that opportunity, and you know that sent me into this you know spiral of like, well, now I really need to dig deeper and get better. And did it? Is that what it did? Because oh, there's two sure. schools of thought here. For At sure. 15, it could send you into your shell. Yeah. But it emboldened you. Yeah. It made you realize this is really what I want. Yeah. That that just put me in a different mindset altogether. Um, and I could jump on that. I I, I was going to get to, well. Do you want me to dig on that or the Olympic part? Let's dig on that first. <laughs> okay, yeah. We'll so what it did to me is instead of taking it as like, a, oh, well, I'm just not good enough or I thought, wow, like that was such a small degree of opinion that I shouldn't go to the Olympics over this person that I need to make sure next time that without a doubt it's clear that I need to go. You know what I mean? I, I got to take the seed of doubt away. And at that point, I was dealing with a lot of things with my age because I went pro when I was 13 and I was really young and little. And, you know, people didn't take me as seriously. And at this point, I was 15. I got a little more weight on me. I was a little taller and I was being taken more seriously. And that was something where I needed to kind of push myself to go, you know, even harder and and, and show everybody that, like, this is my moment. This is my time. And so that's how I approached every competition. Like, if you were going to do this trick, I needed to be, like, leagues ahead of you doing something else. So that's how I started my training. It just wasn't good enough to match the tricks you were doing and hope that I'd get a better score i did it a little better than you i needed to be doing something that you weren't doing you know what was the separator and that's how i started looking for a separation of myself and everyone else wow. yeah and then of course 2006 comes and that's what was heavy yeah 2006 came along and um i think what's what's funny in the story arc is that i, I actually i finally had that moment 15 16 is when i won everything every single competition i entered i had an undefeated season my moment had arrived everything was going my way the sun was shining on me next season knee injury and i'm out for the season i was like wow like now what like i'd never been you know to a gym before i'd never like worked out i'd never done anything to you know uh yeah, or have a surgery to correct anything. You know, it was nothing. I was all new for me. And so I kind of had to work my way back from that. And so the season after that, I was about, uh, gosh, 17 or 18. And, um, yeah, I basically uh, <clears throat> didn't even podium at the X Games. It was really bad. And then the season after that, so I'm, I'm jumping through. But basically... What I started to realize was this pattern, this reoccurring pattern, and that's when I kind of noticed it, is the fact that, like, 
the heart condition as a kid and I kind of pushed through that to rise to the occasion and then you know not really being considered a, a legitimate pro because I was so young and people didn't understand so I was like oh, I gotta push harder to get to this point so every sort of like downturn in my life all of a sudden became you know um preset or something after that always amazing and positive came out of it you mentioned that at 15 16 there's skepticism yeah in the sport yeah you're deemed too young yeah who do you turn to in those moments i mean it was really just my family i mean they they were everything for me it was like they they would get me to the resort my mom's calling the sponsor to make everything just revolved around myself and the family the outside community didn't really understand like i'd mentioned the school system so and it wasn't like i could call any of the other pros they were all in their mid to upper 20s so i was 13 like i was really into pokemon <laughs> and they're out partying and i'm like I, I i didn't really have anything to go off of but i just kind of knew my own strength and goals and i had that family support so they they were there for me within everything and um and then i know like you mentioned before yeah there's a certain amount of like drive that you have to have yourself and how badly do you really want it you know and and luckily the question was i or the answer was i really wanted it and i i found a way to push through um but those moments were tough honestly and and that's why i I like to talk about the pattern that happens because if you can kind of find the pattern and know that these are just moments in your life that aren't the world's not over tomorrow i mean i could have taken it that way like you said when i was 15 i didn't make the olympics i go oh well it's over that was my chance or, you know, or if it doesn't happen next time, then it's over. You know, it's like, no, this is just like, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so every th- single decision I made was in the long-term decision rather than like this momentary thing. And, and I usually took the momentary, you know, situation as something to be learned. So I go, okay, cool. Well, like I said, I, I, I injured my knee, man. I learned so much about how to take care of myself, how to work out all these different things that prolonged my yeah. career by so many years because I learned that at such a young age. It's like so what, what seemed like the end of the world, me having a knee injury and I can't compete and now I'm not podium events, actually, fast forward, was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So knowing that going in, though, it's hard to see the silver line. It's hard for somebody to come out and be like, oh, don't worry, it's a, it's a lesson to be learned. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you tell them to get out of the room. But honestly, that's, that's really... It's really how it happens sometimes. So if you can kind of have that mindset, you know, you, you don't have to pretend that the situation isn't horrible. The Offscript Podcast. Now, we heard in the first part of an exclusive interview how Sean fell in love with his sport. He's got his mum and dad to thank for that. But what now of his first Olympic success as a 19-year-old at the Winter Games in Turin back in 2006? Here, he takes us back to that run. Luckily, back then, I didn't. I don't think I thought as much because I was so young. <laughs> I was just like, what else? Let's do it. <laughs> Had long hair. I was like, let's go. <laughs> you know. But it hit me right at the end. So I win the gold. I slide into the bottom finishing uh, corral area. And there's my whole family. And they're all in tears celebrating. And it, like, I'm going to tear up just thinking about it. But I remember sliding up to the gate. My mom's there. I give her a big hug. And she leans in. And she goes, like, you don't understand. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you don't, you don't understand what you just did. Like, you will forever be known as... Sean White, the Olympic gold net medalist now. This title will follow you for the rest of your life. And 
And that's when the sacrifices started to hit that I realized, like, wow, like, my parents calling in sick for work to drive us up to the mountain. My mom taking a loan out on the house so she could pay for the travel and the, the van and the food and all that, you know, and just, like, everything that we had gone through. And, you know, people telling us that, you know, this sport was never going to amount to anything and that I was never going to amount to anything. And we were throwing our lives away for this dream that probably won't happen, which was a fair assessment at the time. But we believed, and all of that came together in this one moment. And um, I just remember being like kind of awestruck by that, the magnitude of it all. And she was right. I mean, my life changed forever that day. I'm very fortunate, Sean. Yeah. I've spoken to a number of elite athletes. The word pressure. Mm -hmm. Now, my mom's a single parent. I'm acutely aware every single day of my life yeah. I want to make her proud. I'm conscious as well of the sacrifices that she's made. You've talked there about the fact that your mom took a loan out yeah. on your house to help you on your journey. Pressure. Were you aware of that? Do, were you acutely aware of the sacrifices that your parents had made? And then what did that do to your psyche? Because I would be scared, senseless, that, wow, I need to be a success here to make sure that that was all worthwhile. Yeah. Was that always something that you were aware of? Uh, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't really think so. I think it was just kind of like, it was always just like the love was there. Everybody was just like, you know... Hey, we're not we're not taking the money out hoping it's coming back at some point. You know, like this is just what we would do for you, it's what we would do for your brother or your sister and and they were that way. I mean, I, I not only look like there's a lot of amazing things that just so happened to come into my life to get me to this point and and just so happened to meet this person or this, you know, whatever it was, just so happened to call Burton Snowboards and get a board. You know, there's a lot of those things, but honestly, having the parents that I had, it was incredible. You know, they they were so willing to do whatever it was that the kids wanted to do. They really put their lives aside and, you know, really gave themselves a hundred percent to whatever myself or my brother and sister were doing. And so I remember, you know, I'm off snowboarding doing this, but we're like fundraising to try to get my sister on a better soccer team. My brother's out doing that, you know, like my parents just like live for the kids or go-getters. We, we get it done. And so, um, and so I think that, that maybe just that was instilled in me at a young age. It was kind of like, I don't know. I just, I think I believed it was going to happen. So I never really felt the pressure. I just knew it was going to work out. Like, I, you know what I mean? I yeah. don't know how to describe it. I just felt like this is, You're this in is the what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's going to happen. Yeah. It's a beautiful. That, uh, just on that winning gold, yeah. you, you talk about being acutely aware, the sacrifices. You get that gold medal around your neck. Yeah. At what point does it sink in that Sean White is an <laughs> Olympic gold medalist? Yeah, I mean, I remember my mom saying that to me and I was like struck by that and then afterward you're rushed to do so much media and so many you know different things and pulled in so many directions and uh, we didn't even have the gold medal we had to rush down to get to the city of Turin where the medal ceremony was to actually get the gold all these things it wasn't until I woke up the next morning in bed and I looked over and there was a gold medal on my side table my dresser <laughs> it's like oh my god like this really happened. Wow, I did it. And, um, you know, what an incredible feeling. And and then the rest was just like a whirlwind. I mean, I remember 
flying home and just landing at the airport in New York and I walked through the terminal and the entire place like erupted in applause and like next thing you know I'm courtside at the basketball games for the Knicks and I think it was Regis Philman was like, get up, stand up. They put me on the Jumbotron and I like stood up and I like waved to the crowd <laughs> like the uh, Madison Square Garden screaming like it was just this one thing after another. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that was just like one of the wildest experience because like I was able to grow with this success, but this was a whole new level of recognition. And um, and I, 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 I think I really I knew it would happen, but I I don't know if I was completely ready for it you know it's a it's a big life change you know what is it like to, to be yeah. to be as famous as uh, and as iconic as you Sean I mean your life literally changed overnight you're there you are at Madison Square Garden waving like the queen yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, what were the big changes are you recognized yeah. wherever you go and, and how have you dealt with that because mm. I would imagine mentally dealing with that change where you go from anonymity in a lot of yeah, ways yeah to then everyone yeah. Underdog wanting a piece of your time. Yeah, it's just, it's a wild change. It's something where, like like I said, I kind of got to grow with the yeah. success. So I would have maybe a couple people approach me or I'd be at a mountain and go, oh, maybe somebody might recognize me because we're at our ski resort. Or, oh, you know, and, you know, I got to learn how to not deal with it, but just like, you know, people approaching you. They either want to tell you a story or they want to meet you. And I actually got a kind of bad rap when I was younger for being you know standoffish because i was just shy i didn't know how to like especially when an older person approaches you and wants to talk to you and i just like i was nervous i didn't know what to say and my mom and family were able to help me with that they're like they just want to meet you like ask them about their day ask about their life hear what there's you know react to the story like just give them a, just give them a couple seconds of your time and and that's it and so i slowly got to kind of understand what that was like but you know, I think after the Olympics was a whole different ball game because, you know, I'd, I'd have people following me through the grocery store and I would, you know, go to get gas in my car and like a school bus would pull up full of kids. And like, you know, it's just I, I would try to go to dinner and I was always being approached. You know, we couldn't really eat out. It was just it was just a different way of doing things and so you just slowly learn and adapt to you know your level of comfort luckily if you can't tell i'm a pretty like welcoming person like i don't i don't like you can approach me and ask me things and i don't mind i i i like meeting people i'm i'm not shut off in a way and i'm so thankful that's my you know characteristics of my, my personality but i can understand if you know you were in a big movie and you were nobody one day and you're in this hit movie and the next day everybody knows you as whatever your character's name was in that movie <laughs> and and you're you're an international you know success you know i i just that's a that's a huge um thing to go through you know and i've seen a lot of people not able to handle that sort of attention the offscript podcast now, we've heard how his life changed after the Winter Games back in 2006 when he won the halfpipe at the tender age of just 19. But what was it like defending his title four years later in Vancouver with the added caveat, of course, of expectation and in turn increased pressure? Well, I mean, the second time around, you get to know what to expect. So when I got to the Olympics, or I, I, I actually, I feel like the moment after I won the Olympics, I started plotting the course to the next Olympics where a lot of my fellow competitors were, you know, taking vacations and doing this. And 
And I was enjoying myself in the new success of fame and kind of coming to grips with my new world. But I always had my eye on the prize of what was next. And I was thinking, okay, wow, well, now I have a roadmap of what the Olympics is like, the expectation. I know that there's a big media tour after. I know that when I show up, I should... You know, like I did just big mistakes. I, I wasn't paying attention when you go through processing. You get all these new outfits and your uniforms and things. And I was nervous and I just asked the guy next to me what size he was getting. And I didn't f- figure in that he was a lot taller than me. So I had these big baggy clothes. I was like, okay, I got to focus in on this. I got it. And I just made the roadmap of what I needed to do. And, um, and once you have the visualization in your head, then I can kind of just start taking these baby steps of making that visual, you know, that dream a reality. And so every little step I, I did, everything to like, where am I going to stay? What food am I going to eat? You know, who would be with me? What would I do after? And I just started kind of like building backwards this roadmap of what, you know, I would expect. And so it was this amazing experience where I got to kind of like relive one of the best days of my life all over again. But correct anything that I didn't like about it the first time, which is so wild to talk about, you know. And, uh, and you did tell me this a little earlier as well. Yeah. You managed to get Oprah Winfrey's <laughs> private jet. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> so the second Olympics was in Vancouver um, up in Canada in 2010. And so right after I won the Olympics, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because when you, when you win the games, there's a lot of pressure to do media just because, um, you know, uh, there's so many media outlets and they want the story. And everybody's kind of like, well, could he fly to New York and be on this show or could he come do this for us? And, oh, we'd love to have him live on this. And I got this phone call and it was from the team with Oprah Winfrey. And they're like, we really want you on the show. It's something I'd never been on before and what an honor her show's massive so much respect for her and they're like look we don't we don't care we we need him here in chicago by tomorrow we're sending the plane (laughs) and you know my friends and family we all got on the plane and went to chicago and like i was on the oprah winfrey show and it was incredible it's such an amazing experience um you know even to go to the white house and and meet obama and do these it it was a wild time um but yeah, those are those kind of pinch me surreal moments that you would expect after an Olympic win. But um, but yeah, that was like like I said, it was all this kind of like plotting that I had done before. Um, but what I love about this, and you'll probably ask me about it, is like, well, what happened at the next Olympics? Yeah. Because well, <laughs> that's know? it. Because you've already alluded to it, Sean, and, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm I'm kind of. It's interesting talking to you that during your life, not just yeah. your career, Sean, you've already alluded to it. There are moments of genuine adversity mm. born with the heart condition that you had, the yeah. knee injury yeah. at the start, the fledgling state of your career. Yeah. And then Sochi in 2014, I would imagine, and forgive me if I'm wrong, you've suspended yourself in a place where you think nothing can go wrong. You're untouchable. Yeah. And then Sochi happens. Yeah. It's the crash. Yeah. For, for anyone that doesn't know, and I hate to remind you of yeah, this, yeah, Sean, yeah. <laughs> didn't medal. You finished fourth. Fourth, yeah. Yeah, missed the podium. What does that then do when you feel that you are a superhero? What does that do to your psyche? Yeah, it was crushing. I mean, honestly, I it was the first time really in my life besides the knee injury where things just didn't go to my, my way. I had a plan and every single... I mean, picture as a kid, I was like, okay, I'm going to get to the Olympics and I could win and then this would happen and it happened. So I'm like, all right, what if I go back to the Olympics? I do this. And so I had the same sort of vision, like, okay, this is great. I'll just visualize all these things, and it'll all unfold on 
the way in which I see them, and I just got to work hard, and, and it all happened, and it just didn't happen. You know, I didn't have that fight in me. You know, the conditions were crazy. A lot of stuff was going on, and it just wasn't my day. And that's what it is. It's one day. It's yeah. so hard. You can win so many competitions, and if you don't show up and perform when they say go yeah. for a, a, like an hour within one day, that's it. And you got to wait four more years for the next time around. And so it was, it was crushing. I didn't know what to do, and I had never gone to an Olympics and lost before. So... Every single thing I remember about it was just completely different. I remember going to the grocery store and, like, right when I thought things had settled down, you know, someone's checking out my items and they're like, all right, better luck next time. I, uh, you know, and, and it bubbling. Yeah, it was hard, you know, and every little reminder that, you know, the car wash or whatever, like seeing a friend, anybody, you know, they bring it up. And so you kind of have to go, wow, okay, this happened. And I think there's a moment where I just was kind of moping around feeling sorry for myself and um i was at my home in malibu <laughs> and this is this is why it's so funny because i remember sitting there and i'm looking out at the beach and i'm trying to feel so sad for sean who didn't win his medal and i'm sitting there and i and i saw a whale like jump out of the water and <laughs> it just shattered this whole thing i had going i was like Oh my God! Was that a whale? Like, uh, and I was like, it just—I was like, wow. Well, like, if nothing ever went my way again, like, I've—I've I've made a pretty incredible life for myself. Um, you know, when people still see me, they go, "Oh, you're the champ." I thought everything before that was a race. I thought the two gold medals were could you could throw them away because it now you lost, so everything else is expunged. No, like. I still had fans. I still had this incredible life. I still had so much going for me. And it. And, and on that day, I just decided, like, you know what? I'm going to make this for somehow. I'm going to turn this into the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I started plotting the course toward that next Olympics. I've watched this run. I kid you not. In the last couple of weeks, Sean, I've watched this run about 10 times. Yeah. Pyeongchang, is it for you <laughs> the greatest run of your life? Oh, for sure. Is yeah. it? Just because, I mean, not even because of the tricks were so intense, but just because of how much pressure I was well, under. Well, this is know? it. So, again, to paint but, the picture yeah. for those of you that don't know, Sean is currently in silver medal position. Yeah. You've got your final run. It's yeah. the final run. The commentator's brilliant. He paints <laughs> the picture beautifully at the start. And I've watched it literally, Sean, 10 times in the last week. <laughs> and I'm still nervous for you at the top yeah. of it. Is he going to do this? I think 95, I think your competitor had 95.5 yeah. Yeah. You had to beat. And off you go. Sean White has dropped in for gold. Front side, double cork, 1440 for Sean. Are we going to see the back-to-back 1440s? Yes, we are. The skyhook, the front side 540. Now into the double make twist, the tomahawk. And he gets that around. Sean White now with a frontside double court 1260, and he puts it down. And Sean White with an incredible run there. Sean White has just put down back-to-back 1400s in competition and absolutely stomped his run. And now it's in the hands of the judges. He almost took himself out of Olympic contention learning this trick. He hit his face on the re-entry got 62 stitches what a comeback story that alone is questions asked of sean white has he answered them yes he has sean white takes gold in Pyeongchang. back on it and having watched it back yeah is that a faultless right it was just flawless run i mean it was just like it, it's kind of like if you were playing ping pong with someone or i don't know you just you just like oh that was a good shot and then they return it and you're like 
you get another great shot in, and then this momentum starts to build and it just like took me through the whole run and, and I'm riding away going wow I I think I just did it I think I like and in that I, moment, I don't know I mean I know the run was great we'll see what the judges say but I put it down and it just felt so incredible but what was really intense and, and what people don't really know is that one of the tricks in the run, I had barely practiced it because during training in the summer before these competitions started, I had had this horrible crash. Yeah. I had ripped my my face open, basically split my face open and was rushed to the hospital in New 62 Zealand. 62 stitches? 62 stitches in my face. Oh. I still can't really feel my tongue. Really? <laughs> yeah, I like bit through the tip and my forehead and like I had these pulmonary contusions so my lungs were you know bleeding and i ended up in the hospital for a couple weeks to recover and and fast forward to the olympics i had promised myself that i was never going to do that trick again unless the conditions were perfect and every step of the way leading to the olympics it was like a snowstorm or the machine broke that was making the half pipe or this happened then i got really sick all these things keeping me from doing the trick and there i am at the olympics and I, not only do i got to win this with my last run, I'm the last guy to go, but I got to do a run I've never done before. <laughs> so, and and one of the tricks, and and in the run, one of the tricks that had put me in the hospital. So it's like, okay, well, it's now or never. And if this is going to be, it's going to like this is it. Like this, I have to do it now. And so the first time I attempted that run was in the second run, and now I'm going. Okay, I got one more shot at it. I survived that that go. There's no way I'm going to let this happen i'm gonna land the trick this is this is it i'm gonna make it and 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 like i said i just went trick for trick for trick and it all just connected and i won the gold my third gold medal and that definitely yeah was the the biggest moment in my life one of the things yeah. and i've been very fortunate in my career i spoke to michael phelps and we talk about clutch moments yeah michael jordan utah jazz 1998 tom brady countless Super Bowls yeah. the greats elevate themselves in those clutch moments yeah. that's a clutch moment <laughs> for Sean White paint a picture where is your mind in that run are yeah. you fully focused on what you need to do does your mind wander paint a picture if you can yeah. Sean where your mind is at that moment I think for me it was just like a state of of kind Same. of like yeah just I just remember being at the top and the wind was blowing but like so they put the flags down the half pipe like obviously it looks nice but I can tell if it's windy or not and so I'm looking at the flag and I'm going okay it's it's down there's no wind at all and the sun had started to peek out and I'm kind of noticing these little details and um I had uh I was wearing this like orange underlayer and all the banners were orange and all these things and and this song came on that I recognized it was like a post Malone kind of this hip hop song and I was like I knew I know this song and everything started to click and I I sat there going I'm about to win the Olympics again and you better enjoy every single moment of this and take it in I remember taking this like screen grab in my mind of what it looked I can see it right now and and then I was like I hope they send me I hope I hope they tell me to go. And I look over and they're like, okay, go. And I remember high-fiving my coach and I dropped in and I just was, I just, I just thought, look, like if, if I worry about every little detail, like it's not going to happen. I need to just kind of like let go and just, I've always talked about that, that situation or that zone or that place as being like completely confident with this. And, 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 you know, you're, you're nervous of it all, but you have this slight bit of like 
not caring. You have to kind of let go to let it happen. And, you know, like I, the ping pong analogy, you could be scoring and you're getting up all these points and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I'm in, a, I'm in the lead. I should really focus. And then you just start losing every hit. Like it's, it's, you don't want to leave that place. And so I remember just being in the run and connecting trick after trick after trick. The only trick I really remember doing is the last hit. Because there's no more tricks after that. So I'd always be in the spin thinking about the next wall, next wall. And then I got to the bottom and I'm just like, I better nail this. You know, I better land this last trick. And I remember flipping through the air and I came around and the landing was just waiting for me. It was perfect. It's probably the best I've ever done that trick before. And yeah, that was that. And final question on the run. Yeah. Your heartbeat. Is your heart jumping out of your chest or is it calm? You know what it is? It's not so much my heartbeat's mellow, it's my stomach. So, like, I felt every Olympics and even after this last one, I'm, I'm like sick to my stomach afterwards because I'm so knotted up. I'm so, I'm like, it's like you're just, you know, you've, your abs have been flexed for like, <laughs> you know, hours straight and you're just like, even even eating breakfast, heading to the event, that it's the the nerves are building, and and then after the Olympics, like you're in this such a survival mode that you're you're slowly unwinding, and and just that that's the one thing I've noticed after every Olympics. I'm like so sick to my stomach, and I'm trying to do my interviews, and I'm like sound natural, but I'm like, I hope I don't throw up. The Off Script Podcast. Into the final part then of our exclusive interview with snowboarding legend Sean White. He's provided fascinating insight into his career, both the highs and the lows. But what of his decision to retire after the most recent Winter Games over in Beijing at the age of 35? Was it a feeling of relief or disappointment that he hadn't gone out with a bang having finished fourth? Sean's answer was rather telling. You know, it, it, to be honest, like, obviously, as a competitor, yeah, I wanted more. I wanted to hit the podium at least in my last go and these things. But honestly, I was operating on such a place of just, like, gratitude for everything. And it was like doing a final little victory lap tour of, like, look, like, could I win again? Sure, if I really dug and all these things. And trust me, I was giving it my all every little step of the way. I was trying to figure out how to you know, best my competitors and do certain things and, and what could give me that advantage. And, and I was, I was dealing with a lot of little injuries. We were doing, dealing with COVID. It was hard to train a lot of blocked out time. I had to train, got all canceled because of COVID international training was limited. All these different things that came to be. Um, I even had a training situation that was set up the month just before the Olympics that fell through where I was hoping to learn these other specific tricks and anyways, and it just, and the more I grasped the sand slipped through my fingers and I I just realized, look, I got to just enjoy this moment. And it's still the Olympics. There's a lot of pressure. And if you watch the event, a lot of people fell. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, like I just need to be consistent. I need to be, you know, big and smooth and clean. And that gets great scores. And so honestly, um, I was just in a place of gratitude and and just to be there was awesome and you could see I I came down to the finish area and all my competitors had lined up to just kind of like pay homage pay their respects and give me a hug and tell me what I meant to them and it was just incredible it was like you know this dream scenario and you've spoken to many athletes before I mean how many of them get to choose a lot of people get called into an office and they're like oh well the team decided it's not working out for us anymore. Sorry. 
And that's well, it. You know, I actually got to choose when I wanted to be finished. And, well, I'll tell you what, Sean, this is a bit of an unfair question, but Michael Phelps did tell, uh, tell me that 2012 London, he wasn't happy. He wasn't mm. happy. He didn't win. He didn't feel that he, he hit the levels that he wanted to. What did yeah. he do? He came back in Rio yeah. and he wrote the wrongs. Yeah. For you, Sean, you've had this question, I'm sure, before. Yeah, yeah. We've just seen in the world of American football, Tom Brady, retire six weeks later at the age of 44. Yeah. No, I'm not finished. <laughs> I want one more year at yeah. the top. Have yeah. we seen the last of Sean White? My goodness. Uh, you haven't seen the last of me, but I, I just don't know about competing. It just like... The thing for me was always just like, well, what's the what's the drive or what's the motivation to get to that place again? You know, it just seems like, and I think that's what happened at Sochi is I had won twice and I was I was getting this sort of like reoccurring like we'll do it again. And I was like, well, what's the drive and what's the thing? And you know, life's so wonderful. There's so many look at look at where we are. Like, there's so much to offer. And after doing something for so many years, like I don't know, I feel like I've. I've hit I've hit the top multiple times and I just kind of think well what's next you know and and I feel like there's so much more to do in different you know places in life that I just love to focus my time there and that knowing that you can't really go in and be the best at something anymore you can't you can't go to that place that takes you to the end of the earth to just be the best like and that's what I had for so many years um so I think like what you're talking about that was Sochi for me like yeah the pipe wasn't great I was off my game I had the winning run and I fell I had it in my hands and I dropped it and I'm thinking wow well I got to come back and right that wrong and I did that you know and so the next Olympics after that was just kind of like I don't know. I, I, I just I just obviously wanted to win and give it my everything, but I just knew that, that being that this was the last, I was going to just enjoy the process. And now I feel like I'm in such an amazing position. I started this company, White Space, with my brother. It's been such a reward to work on products and develop, you know, <laughs> equipment for that next generation. And, and, you know, I get chills talking about it, but, you know, I was gifted a board when I was six seven years old and that sparked this entire career and this life for me the ripple effect of meeting kids here in dubai snowboard like wow. who would have known and you know maybe i could be that for the next generation you know and it's just incredible feeling well taking it full circle yeah best piece of advice that sean white received <laughs> in your career in your life yeah uh wear my helmet <laughs> honestly <laughs> Like, there's so many people that tried to get me to not wear a helmet because it wasn't cool. And, it, like, I love seeing kids here that are yeah. wearing helmets because it's... And there's a big part of... I feel like that was a big part of my doing because I just wouldn't take it off. I was like, look, I'm not going to be the person that gets in a car accident and then they go, oh, you should wear your... You should have worn your seatbelt. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I should have, you know. And I, I would say that that was the biggest one. And then... Um, and then... Um, let me think. Best advice. Uh, Mum, dad, Tony Hawk. I know Tony was yeah, Tony's a mentor amazing. for you. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think somebody just told me to kind of like enjoy the ride, enjoy the process of it. Because like it, it kind of got encapsulated later on. I heard this quote. It said, uh, you know, um, success without fulfillment is the greatest failure. So if if you get this gold medal, but you didn't enjoy the ride and it broke you to get there and it's nothing, you know what I mean? And now what do I do? But I got the, I got the, you know, enjoy that process. What is it? It's nothing. But if you enjoy the process of getting where you're going and you can like enjoy the moments and, and enjoy it, 
the, the end goal doesn't even really matter because you enjoyed the entire process. That. So, so that's kind of that. like where I started operating on. And that's why this last Olympics, yeah, I would have loved to have gotten third. I would have been like, well, I could have gotten second, or, you know, first. Why am I even stopping, you know? But to enjoy the process and just to be like, wow, I got to go to five Olympics. You know, everyone that was in the crowd or, or up at the top that was working there, we're all people that I used to compete with years ago. So the fact that I've made it this far was just like another, you know, uh, accomplishment. And so, you know, I obviously could have, could have, a great one is my mom was, I remember seeing my mom after this Olympics and she was like, I was cool after the one gold medal. Like, <laughs> we were good. You did it. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it was fine. So I don't know. I think. I think um, turning this new leaf, and, and I know retirement is such an ugly word, yeah. especially as an athlete, but I, I really feel it's just, the, it's just the beginning of so much for me. The voice there of the legend that is Sean White. What a gentleman he is. What a sporting icon he has become over the course of the last 15, 20 years or so. A massive thanks to Sean. A massive thanks as well to his team. Got to say a huge shout out as well to all of the guys down at Ski Dubai for the opportunity to sit and regale with a legend in the sports of snowboarding. We wish Sean all the very best in his future endeavours. I've got a funny feeling it will not be the last time that we see see him in these parts. I do sincerely hope you've enjoyed that sports special in conversation with Sean White. We'll be back with you on Monday from 5 o'clock. The good news, Robbie is back. Sonal will be back too. And yep, I'm there as well. We're back to the full compliment on Monday. Until then, folks, have a lovely weekend. Stay safe. Good night. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.